my heart was pounding as I stood outside Janet's door. I was new in my role as a pastoral care um, helper in a care home. I was told that Janet had schizophrenia and uh, severe mental health issues. I was very nervous as I entered her room and I made sure I sat at the edge, uh, close to the door, in case I needed to leave. I really didn't know anything. As Jeanette and I started talking, she had her hair was matted into one big clump of gray, a gray mass, almost down to her waist. And I was told by the nurses that this, had to be, that this could not be changed because of her mental health. As we started talking, Jeanette started sharing <clears throat> about horrendous abuse that she had suffered um, as a child. My heart broke for her as I listened to her, and I said to her, I am so sorry. And I never forget her words. She leaned in close to me, her face close to mine, and with pleading eyes, she said to me, Please tell me that what happened to me was wrong. Don't just say you're sorry. I need to hear that it was wrong. Why am I starting a sermon on goodness with a story of evil? Because talking about God's goodness inevitably brings up questions in our minds about the suffering we see in us and around us and hear daily on the news. I think it is so important that we anchor our reflection in God's goodness firmly on God's word and firmly in the reality of our world today. We're not closing our eyes to the pain and suffering around us, and wish for heaven. Jesus came to this world. He lived among us. He experienced oppression and injustice, suffering and pain. So how do we cope with experiences like Jeanette's? How does it influence our view of God and his goodness? How is your view of God's goodness shaped by what you experience? In the passage that Mike read to us, the Apostle Paul summarized our topic today, goodness, brilliantly. He's writing to believers in Asia Minor, and he reminded them of the incredible gift they have been given and the responsibility that comes with it. He says, God's, goodness has given, God's goodness has given you everything you need. He's inviting you to participate in the divine nature, and he is urging you to make every effort to grow in godly character traits and be effective and productive. And surprisingly, I don't know if you caught that, he ends with the fact that our problem is not a lack of resources, but a lack of memory. 
we forget whose we are. So this morning, let's remember. There we go. I love that we are looking at the fruit of the Spirit during these summer months, as luscious fruit is ripening in our gardens and fields. Gardens are some of the best teachers. Jesus liked garden metaphors. In John 15, he says that God, the Father, is the gardener, and he, Jesus, is the vine, and we are the branches who bear good fruit. So as we reflect on goodness this morning, I would like to use the image of a healthy, like on this picture, of a healthy vineyard with beautiful fruit. And notice, it's not just one individual vine, but many growing together. Is it possible to produce beautiful fruit like this in our lives, in our community? And how does this happen? And who or what defines what's good and what's not? Whose voice do we listen to and follow? We are all followers. The only question is who we follow. I would like to first talk about the root. The root of all goodness. Secondly, about God's goodness manifested in Jesus, the vine. And then thirdly, how God's spirit grows the fruit of goodness in us. So first, what does scripture say about the source of goodness? The Greek word uh, agathos means an uprightness of heart and life. Agathos sort of has this flavor of inherent goodness, of kind and righteous and excellent, excellent and honorable. A fundamental and often repeated affirmation throughout Scripture is God is good. The first time we see this, the word good, uh, which is tau, as Tim told us last week in Hebrew, is in Genesis 1. The light God saw, that the light was good. After each creation day, it says God saw that it was good. And at the end of creation, he says, God saw that all that he had made, and it was very good. The next time we see the word good is in Genesis 2, when God invited the first humans to enjoy everything he made, except the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Guess which fruit looked most appealing to them. The first command was promptly broken. Our ancestors did not trust God's goodness, but their own logic and desires, believing the evil's lie that God was withholding good from them. And the consequences of the fall were devastating. And the pattern 
repeats. Throughout the Old Testament, we see how God's people rebelled over and over and over again, the Lordship of God. And they did whatever they thought was good. Sounds familiar? The last verse in Judges sums it up well. It says, in those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Sounds like a good description of our times. Yet as you read through the Old Testament, you can't help but be struck by how patient and gracious and merciful and forgiving God is with his rebellious people over and over and over again. When Moses was chosen to lead God's people out of slavery, Moses asked God, show me your glory. God answered, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord Yahweh, in your presence. And he proclaimed his character. I am the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That is his character. And in his song, Moses proclaims God's incredible goodness. God, he is the rock. His works are perfect, and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. And of course, the psalmists proclaim over and over again that God is good. Psalm 136, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Psalm 23, as Dan read to us this morning, surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Psalm 119, you are good, and what you do is good. And Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. And remember, these proclamations were often uttered in the midst of suffering and lament. The writers reminded themselves of God's intrinsic character. He is good all the time. In the 7th century BC, the prophet Isaiah warned God's people, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Again, does this remind you? Is this a description of our times? We are really good at this. We love to blame others and God for the woes in our world. G.K. Chesterton, who's a brilliant Christian philosopher, he wrote perhaps the shortest essay in history. The London Times asked various writers for essays on the topic, what's wrong with the world? Chesterton replied, dear sirs, I am sincerely yours, G.K. Chesterton. 
Randy Alcorn says that blaming ourselves for what happens to us is a lost art that we need to recover. I just want to ask, when did exploiting creation for our profit become good? When did trafficking humans for billion-dollar profits become good? And the list goes on. What can we learn from these verses and many others? That God is the source of all goodness. Goodness is intrinsic to his character and all his actions. Things go wrong when we decide we don't like his ways and choose our own. And I would add that history proves this point really well. So no matter what the circumstances are or how we feel about them, God is good and God does good. We obviously don't always understand. You know, uh, you have, uh, the ones of you that are parents, uh, it helps me to remember sometimes how as a parent our kids didn't always understand our decisions. Would you agree? And sometimes... They thought we restricted them, or we withheld good from them. When one of our sons, whose name shall remain unnamed, was very little, like any good mother, I wanted to wean him off the pacifier, called Nuki in German, for the good of his teeth. I thought it was a good idea to prick a hole in the pacifier to eliminate the suction, and thereby make it less enjoyable. Young parents, listen well. Proud of my superior parenting skills and hoping he would not notice, I tucked him into bed with his now sabotaged pacifier and closed the bedroom door, hoping for a moment of peace. It didn't take long when an indignant yell from the bedroom pierced the silence of the night. Mama, do you know why you're bad? <laughs> he was not impressed by my parenting skills. We like to define what is good for us, mainly what feels good and is convenient to us. It seems to me that in our quest to satisfy our deepest God-given longings for belonging and connection and intimacy, we often turn to pseudo-solutions that are best offer short-term happiness, but they never satisfy. What's good in our eyes is not synonymous with what's good. So who in your life defines what's good? We have a choice which voice we listen to. Our creator, who made us, or a plethora of created voices who are more than happy to accumulate followers. We used to tell our kids, you can choose your actions, but you can't choose the consequences. Scripture presents good and evil as determined by God alone, not by human nature, not by culture or our preferences. As fallen creatures, we can often be misguided and corrupted. 
but we can rely on God's self-revelation in his holy word to know his character and to recognize both good and evil. Secondly, I want to talk about the vine, about how God's goodness is manifested in Jesus. James, in his book, affirms the Old Testament. Every good and perfect gift is from above. And the best gift is, is the one who humbled himself, who moved into our neighborhood and was obedient to death on the cross. Jesus applied Isaiah's prophecy to himself when he said in Luke 4, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim what? Good news. The good news Isaiah had foreshadowed and longed for. Gospel means good news. And this is how Peter, in his letter, described Jesus. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. He went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We can see that Jesus' passion was to do God's will, not his own. He always chose what was right, not what was easy or convenient like we often like to do. What did he teach us to pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He resisted the many temptations to take a shortcut, to avoid pain, to look out for himself and his needs. And of course, ultimately, he laid down his life for us. In John 10, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Not just any shepherd. The only perfect, sinless, good throughout shepherd. Tim Keller said, the cross is the ultimate experience of the goodness of God. I think I have to say that again. The cross is the ultimate experience of the goodness of God. The first Adam introduced evil and suffering to the human race, but the last Adam, Jesus, took that evil and suffering on himself. Joni Erickson Tada, who knows a thing or two about suffering, said, even at the cross, God permitted what he hated, the unjust and agonizing death of his own precious son, in order to accomplish something he prized above his own son's cruel death, that is, salvation for a world of sinners. So to summarize, God the Father is the root of all goodness. His goodness was expressed perfectly in the life and death of Jesus the Son, which brings me to the third point, the fruit. I was struck as I studied goodness in scripture of how much it talks about doing good. We don't like to talk about that too much, do we? 
I think we shy away from it because we emphasize that we are saved by faith, not by good works. And yes, of course, we are not saved by good works, but according to scripture, we are saved in order to do good works. Ephesians 2 tells us, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We are called as Christians to live in a way that reflects the character of Christ. God wants to reproduce in us the goodness of Jesus. We cannot produce it on our own. It matures as we give access to God's Spirit to work in us. Fruit is an outward result of an inner, slow process. Sometimes maybe I've done this too. I have planted like lots of pots and put seeds in them, but I, I forgot to label them. And when the green leaves uh, shot up, I couldn't remember which plant was which, because green leaves look a lot, very similar. But when the fruit appears, there's no doubt that's a tomato plant. Fruit reveals what's going on inside. Jesus said, no good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes, do they? Or grapes from briars. And Paul wrote to Timothy, command them to do good, to be rich in good works, and to be generous and willing to share. And Paul encouraged the Galatians, let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. A great example of this uh, goodness in action in the Old Testament is Daniel. I love the story of Daniel. We actually named our fourth son after this character. And our Daniel loved the story too. Uh, in fact, once I asked him um, <clears throat> what he learned about Daniel's life, and he said, uh, well, they, they threw him in a lion's den. And I said, oh, so then what happened? Uh, did the lions eat him? And he said, no. And I said, oh, why not? He said, oh, because he was an old man. It says about Daniel that he had a spirit of excellence and his enemies could find no corruption in him. Imagine this. What a testimony about a person. A spirit of excellence. Wouldn't you like to hear that about yourself? A spirit of excellence and his enemies could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. And in spite of threats against him, he continued his daily habit of prayer. He did what was right 
and good, no matter the consequences. One of my favorite examples from the New Testament is Barnabas. It says of him that he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Again, wouldn't you like to hear that about yourself? Full of the Holy Spirit and faith. So when Paul came to Jerusalem after his conversion, he tried to join the disciples, but they were afraid of him. And they actually did not believe that he was really a disciple of Jesus. No, no wonder, right? Because of what he had done before. But then it says, and I love these two words, but Barnabas. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. Barnabas was not afraid. He trusted God and he did what was right. No wonder he was called the encourager. Matthew tells us, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Our good deeds should always reflect and point to the source of all goodness. We want our lives to be signposts to Jesus, more of him and less of us. At the age of 17, Joni, uh, that you see here on the picture, broke her neck in a tragic diving accident in the Chesapeake Bay. Her spinal cord was severed, which left her a lifelong quadriplegic. Joni would have every right to question God's goodness, and she did at first. In her amazing autobiography, she reveals each step of her struggle to accept her disability and to discover the meaning of her life. She, to me, is a modern-day example of someone who, through suffering, discovered God on a deeper level and how she let God use this tragedy for good. Her infectious joy in the Lord, despite hardships, is an inspiration and testimony for millions of people around the world. She said once, and I love this quote of her, when we hurt, God doesn't always give us lots of words. He gives us the word, the word made flesh, who is intimately acquainted with our grief and suffering. This is hard. This is really hard. Let's take a page from the life of Joseph. Bad things happened to Joseph, really bad things. Try being sold by your own brothers into slavery. Try being wrongly accused and thrown in prison and forgotten. Yet Joseph chose goodness and forgiveness over bitterness and hate. He told those same brothers who had sold him into slavery, you intended to harm me. Again, that word, but, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now done, the saving of many lives. He entrusted himself to God and stayed faithful to him through all his trials. 
So as we can so clearly see in Joseph's life, God can bring good results from bad things that happen. God overcomes evil with good. That is the story of the Bible. And it, it accumulates in the ultimate goodness of God, the cross, where Jesus overcame and defeated the last enemy. And by his spirit, and this is the miracle of it all, by his spirit, he empowers us to overcome evil with good. Paul says in Romans, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And he tells us in Romans 8, 28, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Or I love uh, Eugene Peterson's translation of this verse in the message. We can be sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. In the passage that Mike read for us in the beginning from 2 Peter, Peter encouraged us to grow in goodness. He attributed the reason for poor growth not to a lack of willpower. We often think, I just need to try harder. But to a lack of memory. He said, we have forgotten whose we are. He calls us to remember and live in the reality of who we are in Christ. That's our identity. We often forget the source. I was actually thinking, it's like with fast food. Sorry for this commercial. It's like with fast food. The more we distance food from its original by manipulating and hyper-processing it, the less beneficial and the more harmful it becomes to us. To be healthy and to thrive, we have to stay close to the source. Joni again said it so beautifully. She said, I want to stay in the habit of glancing at my problems, but gazing at my Lord. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. So to finish, as your gardeners know, to produce good fruit, plants often need some kind like of a trellis or a structure or a pole, something to grab hold on and to grow up. I think it's, there, it's true for us as well. We need to develop healthy and consistent habits, structures to put us in a posture where we allow the Holy Spirit to do that deep work of inner transformation in us. So the question is, what trellises can we put in place so that the fruit of the Spirit can grow good fruit in us? In one of his many brilliant books, a Christian philosopher, Dallas Willard, who uh, probably as many of you know, he presents two types of spiritual disciplines. He calls one the disciplines of abstinence, meaning like solitude, silence, fasting, frugality. 
And then the other type, the discipline of engagement, like study and worship and prayer and confession. He argues that salvation is not only about forgiveness of sin, but about the total transformation of our lives. So, if we want to, as Peter told us, to possess these qualities like goodness in increasing measure, and it takes time, as gardeners know, what trellis, what structure, what discipline, what habit are you going to adopt on a regular, consistent basis? I think that is the secret to growth. It has to be intentional, and there has to be a structure in place, because we forget. We're so forgetful. Maybe a discipline of abstinence, like scheduling a regular time of silence. That's really hard for me, with my big mouth. But it's so good for me. Talking about goodness, it's good for me to sit there silently with God. Fasting from social media or from food, or something else that seems to control you. Or maybe a discipline of engagement, like a daily time in the Word of God, or a daily time worshiping and praising God. To produce good fruit, we need good structures, just like plants. I adopted a simple little habit during a particularly stressful time in our family's life, when we had to uh, we had a fixed deadline to find another rental home. It was frustrating, and I was close to tears more than once. I looked at 50 rentals. It would have been easy to let my frustration and impatience blind me to God's goodness and care for me. So, I put a habit in place. Every time, after yet another unsuccessful trip, I would tell in the car, nobody could hear me, I would tell God out loud, my heavenly Father, you are good all the time, and I love you no matter what. It didn't change the circumstances, but it did change me. Is my life, is your life characterized by goodness? What kind of person do we want to be? What kind of church do we want to be? Are we men and women of integrity? Are we known to do the right thing even when it hurts or doesn't feel good? Are we like Barnabas, encouraging and supporting others in their giftings? Or is it all about our own advancement? Do we allow God to use pain in our life for good? Are we generous? Do we go that extra mile? That's how we reflect God's character, his goodness, his heart. And as we choose to walk in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit will slowly begin to transform us, and we will begin to take on the character traits of Jesus himself. So could this be us? Rooted in the goodness of God, abiding and being nourished by Jesus, the true vine, 
empowered by the Spirit to mature and bear good fruit. Could this be Granville Chapel, a healthy, thriving community of learning and growing and maturing and supporting each other, bearing good fruit, reflecting our beautiful Savior for His glory and His honor, no matter what. He still calls us today. Maybe for someone here or online for the very first time, or maybe many times. Taste and see the goodness of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. All the time you are good. When we don't understand, when we're confused, when we doubt. Help us, as Joni said, to gaze into your beautiful face, to keep our, fi- our eyes firmly fixed on you, the true vine, the one that gave his life so we could have life forever in the goodness of God. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.